Man, it's good to see you guys uh, this morning. My name is Austin, and I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're just joining us, uh, last week we kicked off our series walking through First and Second Samuel, specifically looking at the life of David. And um, David, this man, is, is one of the most well-known characters in the entire Bible, right? We talk about him uh, a lot. Um, He was known, or he is known, as a man after God's own heart. So David uh, was a shepherd. He was a warrior. He was a father, a king, and a husband. Um, But as we'll see, David and his life, it's just a shadow pointing to the true and better king, Jesus, right? And so last week, uh, Mo kicked us off in 1 Samuel 16, and he showed us this unlikely young shepherd anointed and chosen by God as king. This amazing kind of wild, like, what are you thinking, God, moment. And, uh, and then this morning we get to look at one of the most popular stories in the Bible, David and Goliath. Um, very, very excited for it. So you can open up your Bibles uh, to 1 Samuel 17. Uh, but before you jump in, let me ask you this. Um, has, has anyone ever fought a battle for you? Like, has anyone ever fought on your behalf? So, for instance, you're like, you've got a fight, you've got a, a battle, and someone fights it for you. Has that ever happened? Well, I remember I'm in seventh, I'm like in seventh grade, and I'm hanging out, going to school, and this kid, you know, steps in front of me and pushes me, and he's like, and like just kind of picking on me, bullying me, like, and I'm like, bro, what's going on, you know, and he, and he, so he's going, he's going at it, like he wants to fight me, and I pull out my Razor flip phone, I said, dude, I will push speed dial, number one, my mom, she does not like when people mess around with her son, she, if I touch this, you'll get choke slammed. Like, I was like, don't even try and do it, you know? And, and so, and so he, he's going, and, and, um, and I don't know why he was picking on me. Maybe it was my spiked hair with the frosted tips. I'm not sure. Don't try and judge. We're in church, okay? And you did it too. Uh, but anyway, so, so I'm like, dude, this guy's picking on me. I'm trying to say no. He, he's fine. I'm about to call my mom. Like, all this stuff's going on. And literally out of nowhere, like, we're standing there out of nowhere, my other friend comes flying and lays the guy out, like tackles, like full-fledged, picture-perfect football tackle, great formation, tackles the guy. On the way down to the ground, the bully, he farted. It was like the funniest, <laughs> crazy, everyone's like, did he just, yeah, like, yeah, he, I think he did. And like, you're like, oh, poor guy, like he deserved it, okay? Um, so, so y'all better believe no one picked on me from that day forward. It's like, Dude, you want to get tackled and fart? Like, it's not a good scenario. Just don't pick on him. Uh, leave him alone. And uh, I told him, hey, dude, you, got the, you got the better of two options. Like, being choked sent by my mama would not have been a great moment either for you. So anyways, all that's happening. But, uh, but the main reason that, that I didn't want to fight him, frankly, was because he was bigger than me. Hard to believe, right? And, uh, and, then, and then I'm like, I would have lost that battle. Like, I would have lost. And I didn't have the courage to stick up for myself. I, I was nervous and afraid, and someone stepped in and fought my battle for me. Has, have you ever had a moment like that where someone fought for you? Well, this morning, we're going to dig into 1 Samuel 17. We're going to discover that there is a battle that none of us can fight or win, and that there's a hero that stepped in and fought that battle for us. Amen? Now, normally, uh, we like to um, just kind of get a smaller section of, uh, section of Scripture, go verse by verse and have three points. But since this is 58 verses and you don't want to be here until Tuesday, we're just going to kind of oversee the whole picture and take out some smaller sections. Is that all right? But we will see three specific things. Um, well, I, help, I think it'll help to identify who Goliath really is, who David really is, and who you really are in the story. So uh, if you look at verse 1, you'll see that there's a battle uh, going on, a battle that starts between the Philistines and the Israelites, okay? Now, a little bit of background for us. 
Um, the, the Israelites are God's chosen people, right? His beloved people that he freed from slavery. He's shown favor and he's given them this land. Uh, the Israelites believe in one God, our God, the only true God, and they worship him. Uh, and then the Philistines have came, came in, overtaken five of Israel's cities. They said, no, like this is our country, the, the land that God's given us, and they've overtaken five um, cities. And so basically, uh, the Philistines are, they worship many gods. They've got anger problems, like they like to fight, and uh, they're just Israel's natural enemy. Now, through all of this, while the battle's going on, David is watching sheep. Okay, the David we talk about, he's just watching sheep, right? And his three oldest brothers are in the front lines of the battle. So they're there. And Jesse is David's dad. And Jesse says, hey, man, I'm, I'm wondering how my sons are doing. And uh, would you mind, hey, take this, take this cheese platter and go and hang out with them. You, see, you can see that there. And uh, go and check. Just come back and let me know how they're doing, basically. So David goes. Now, we see, though, in the story that uh, Jesse's concern for his son's well-being was appropriate right? Like, so basically, the Israelites weren't off to a good start. Uh, The Philistines had this key leader, uh, this dude that no one really wanted to mess with, a lot like Pastor Ricky, okay? Uh, So if you guys know him, uh, dude, you're just like, I'm not going to pick a fight with that guy. And so both armies uh, are standing, they're looking at each other, right? So it's like, like me, my army, obviously we're the Israelites and you guys are the Philistines. And so we're like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And then out of this like emerges this beast of a man and his name's Goliath, right? And they're like, oh, dang it. We did not pick the right fight today. And so they're going and they're getting scared. Um, Goliath, this dude is nine feet, nine inches tall. All right, so just a little bit taller than me. And, uh, and he weighed, uh, or I'm sorry, I don't, we don't know how much he weighed, but his armor weighed 125 pounds. The tip of his spear weighed 15 pounds. He had uh, a helmet, a sword, a spear, a javelin too. Like he's a, a living tank and a walking tank and the epitome of a warrior. And he steps forward to all of the Israelites in, in verses 8 through 10. He shouts, uh, verses 8 through 10. He goes on and says, Why have you come out to drop for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And then he said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Now, you may be wondering, saying, look, I've seen Lord of the Rings. I know how these battles go, okay? Uh, well, that's not exactly accurate. Uh, and so you're wondering, hey, why didn't they just like one guy shout, they start going crazy, and you just start swinging swords with like your eyes closed, you know, hoping that you get somebody. And, and so like, why wasn't that the battle scene, basically? Well, it turns out that a lot of armies uh, and a lot of wars were fought in this way. Um, rather than losing or risking losing hundreds or even thousands of men, they would choose to put their trust in one man that would fight as a representative for their whole army. Does that make sense? Like they'd say, hey, rather than losing all our guys, let's just pick our biggest, strongest, craziest dude, Pastor Ricky, and he's going to fight and he's going to go at them. And so that's what they did. And that was Goliath. Um, And what would happen is that if you won, then your army would partake in your victory and and enjoy that. And if you lost, then they would suffer the consequences of your loss. So there's a lot of trust put in this representative, right? 
And so Goliath constantly says, hey, dude, I'm the representative. I will beat anyone. Like anyone comes up, I will beat you. And, uh, and then if I do, you guys will all be our servants and our slaves. But he says, but on the off chance, the slim, maybe off chance that you, anyone would battle me and win, I'll tell you what, we'll be your servants, right? So that's Goliath's challenge. And so the question for the Israelites becomes, who will fight for us and be our representative, right? Who's going to step up to this crazy, big beast of a man? Now, this introduces um, representative theology, okay? Representative theology. Now, this model of battle isn't only played out physically, but it's also played out spiritually, So one man would represent all people, and then we would either enjoy his victory or suffer his loss. So if you look back to Genesis 3, the first book in your Bible, uh, chapter 3, our first representative was Adam, right? And so Adam and Eve are hanging out. Satan comes in the form of a serpent and tempts them, and they choose sin. Adam failed, lost the battle as our representative, and now every single one of us is born into sin and and natural rebellion to God. And you might point a finger to Adam and be like, dude, what are you doing? Why didn't you, you know, did you not eat your Wheaties that morning? Like, why weren't you strong enough to resist temptation? Well, we might point fingers at him, but you lose the battle. Like, every single one of us would lose that battle. Matter of fact, we lose the battle of sin every single day, right? So like Adam wasn't any different. He was susceptible to that. Our first representative, now we inherit sin. Um, Romans 5, New Testament, talks about this dilemma that we have, right? Our old representative, our first representative was walking in sin, and now we walk in sin with him and walk in death. And he says, we need a better representative. We need someone to fight the battle perfectly to be our perfect representative. And that's what's happening in this story right? Who's going to represent the nation of Israel and fight for God's people? But first, man, I I think it'll be really helpful for us to identify who Goliath really is. Every day, for 40 days, he comes and says the same exact thing, right? He, He challenges all of Israel and no one steps up. It's like that moment when your teacher, you know, like comes in and, and he or she asks you a question and simultaneously everyone's concerned with something on the floor or on the wall. You know, it's like, and like no one wants to make eye contact because she's going to call on you. You know, so you're like, oh man, that's so cool. Now I noticed that little pattern right there. And so that's what's happening. They're like, they're like I, I don't want to be picked, so I'm not going to make eye contact. And so they're all afraid. Verses 11 and 24 say that everyone was afraid, greatly dismayed, and they fled. They believe that Goliath is a warrior champion that cannot be defeated. And everyone, literally everyone, crumbles and loses hope because of their view of Goliath. I mean, if you're an Israelite, you're thinking— if I fight him, I will die. Like, I will not win that battle. And if I lose, all my people lose. So there's a lot at stake at this. And, and when the story seems to dip into hopelessness, like utter hopelessness, uh, David arrives, this young shepherd arrives with his cheese platter. Okay, like, hey guys, what's up? It's like the, like, uh, you know, at the half, uh, someone comes in, brings chips and guac at the halftime party, and your team's losing 42 to zero. You're like, Really? That would have been great on the first pick six, you know, for me to get some guac. It's comfort food for me, okay? So uh, it's like David's like, here, guys. Like, dude, what are you? So anyways, this is happening. He looks around. He comes on the scene. His brothers and everyone else is back down to Goliath's challenge. No one stepped up, right? And, and, and everyone has already identified Goliath, um, but David sees something different. Now, before we see how David identifies Goliath, I think it's important for us to remember what we learned last week. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says that the Lord doesn't look to outer appearances, right? He looks to the heart. 
He looks inward. And so he's here, he's not, God is saying, I don't care how big you are, how strong you are, how fancy you are. I'm going to look to your heart. And, and so logically, if God has given us by his grace, his eyes and his heart, then we might see and look a little different than the world looks, right? We're going to see people differently than the world looks. And that's what's happening. Look at verse 26. David says, this is his identification of Goliath. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? See, David doesn't see Goliath as this towering, unbeatable champion. He sees him as a, as a sinful man rebelling against the living God, right? He's like, yeah, you're, you're big, but my God's bigger, right? Uh, and they're all looking at the same guy, but they have different perspectives, which ultimately reveal different understandings of who God is, right? Uh, so let me put it this way. I used to think that the lake was huge when I was younger, right? Like, I mean, I can, as if I look and I squint, I can kind of just almost barely see the land on the other side of the lake. Like, that's so big. And there, how did this much water get in one place? And I wonder how many fish are in this water right now. I wonder how big they are, you know? And, and I used to think that the lake was impressive until I saw the ocean, right? Used to think the, the lake was so amazing until I saw the ocean, I'm like, wow. I mean, this thing literally goes on forever and ever. I can't see any land out there. And, and there are animals in the ocean that are bigger than my house. And, and, and there's places that no one has ever traveled to the depths in the ocean. Like, and, and I think this is what happens when we see our enemy in light of our God. Yeah. Amen? We see, whoa, whoa, it's, it's the lake compared to the ocean. There is no comparison. God is greater. The God of creation rules and reigns over every. Thing. He's, he's incredible. And that's the difference between David and the rest of Israel. David knew that his God was bigger and stronger. It doesn't, he doesn't, you don't have to like act like you don't acknowledge it, that he's big, like that your enemy's big. You acknowledge that God is certainly bigger. Now remember, Saul is currently the king of Israel, right? He's the rightful person that should step forward. He's a, a foot or a head taller than everyone else, and he's a great warrior. So when Saul, like, why aren't you stepping up? And he, and he backs down, right? He's afraid of Goliath. And so going against the grain of everyone else, God's first hipster, David, this cheese shepherd, you know, comes in and uh, uh, with cheese and crackers. I mean, he uh, comes into this story, and everyone's got a different view of who David really is. Now, I think it's important for us to understand, David didn't come to this battle looking to fight. Why, why did he come? He came because his dad said, hey, go check on your, brother, uh, your brothers and see how they're doing and, and report back to me. So David wasn't looking for a fight, but he comes in and no one's stepping up. And he's saying, man, if someone's not stepping up, then I'm going to step up. Like, I might have to fight this guy. So I picture David's like got his beats on, right? He's listening to Eye of the Tiger. He's getting jammed, you know, blood's going, heart's pumping. He's getting excited. And Eliab comes over and pulls a typical older brother move, right? His older brother. And he, in, in verse 28, it says that, Eliab was angry towards David, and he says, Why have you come down? And, and, and with whom have you left those sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Eliab is operating out of logic and roles. Okay? Logic and roles. So he's saying, first off, Dave, where's your sheep, bro? Who's watching them? That's your, that's your job. And second, you're not a soldier. You're a shepherd. So go home. All you really want to do is watch this battle. I'm surprised David wasn't like, what battle? Like, no one's stepping up, you know? Like, uh, and so it, all this is happening, but David's oldest brother identifies David as a misplaced shepherd, right? That's just wanting to be a spectator at the battle. That's how he pegs David. 
And then when word gets out that David, this, this young shepherd dude, wants to take on the suicide mission, and Saul's like, hey, bring that guy to me, right? I want to talk to that guy. So he comes in, and verse 33 gives us Saul's view of David. He says, you are not able to go against the Philistine to fight him. You're not. Like, for, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war since his youth. Now, King Saul might have even admired David's audacity, right? And, and whimsy. He said, yeah, I'll fight him, and, and I believe I can fight him. But then he points out the absurdity of his claim. Dude, you're, you're unexperienced. You're, you're unqualified. You can't fight this person. So how does King Saul identify David? as an unexperienced boy that doesn't belong in a fight against an experienced champion warrior. That's what Saul thinks of David. Now, if, if you know the rest of the story, I think a lot of us like to blame uh, Eliab and Saul, right? Like, dude, you don't know what David's going to do. He's got a mean slingshot. Like, he can do some stuff, you know? But, but step into their shoes for a second. David is just a shepherd, and there's a lot riding on this battle, It's not like just, yeah, you chance it. It's like whatever guy we're putting our full trust in. And so from a worldly perspective, like they're spot on with their observations and hesitations. But their problem is that they don't see anything beyond that. The problem is that they don't realize that when David was anointed, he had the spirit of the Lord rush upon him. He had the spirit of God working in him. God was with him. He has an extra power. See, they're fixated with outer appearances while God is looking to the heart. And that's where we're going to see the chasm. I mean, through the rest of First and Second Samuel, we'll see this chasm of, of David looking into really what God would see in the similar eyes and everyone else doing something fairly different. But I love David's response. Look at verses 34 through 37. This is David's response to Saul's um, hesitation. He says, uh, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear, no big deal, just small animals, uh, and, and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. Again, no big deal. And if he arose against me, I, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. No big deal. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Right? Um, so David offers King Saul a chill pill. He says, hey, take this, okay? And let me explain a couple things that have happened in my life, all right? And he says, dude, uh, I fought and killed both lions and bears to save uh, my sheep from their teeth. Goliath isn't any different from them, right? He's just an enemy that's coming, wanting to steal, kill, and destroy. God save me from the paw of the animals, and he'll surely save me from the hand of Goliath, right? So notice where David's confidence is. Is his confidence in himself? Is it, is it in his own ability to take down bears and lions? Is it in his skillful ability to sling a stone? No, it's not. David's confidence is in God's deliverance, right? David's confidence is in God's deliverance. And so track with me practically. If you face some hard, difficult things in your life, you've walked through some hard roads, and God has brought you through those, that will develop in you a sense of confidence that God is faithful, right? Man, if he can do that, if he can sustain me through that, he'll definitely sustain me through this. Like, if he provided that in that time, he'll, he'll do it for this one too, and that's what's happening with David. And so how, how does David see himself? He sees himself as a humble servant protected by the living God. A humble servant protected by the living God. 
And so King Saul, to, to uh, uh, David's counter argument, King Saul's like, dude, you're right. Like, okay, go, go ahead. It's your death wish. And so Saul's like, here's my armor, puts his armor on. David's not digging it. So he takes it off. He says, actually, let me take a slingshot and a couple rocks. And so uh, they go in. Talk about bringing a knife to a gunfight right? It's like bringing a firecracker to a nuclear war, right? Like it doesn't, it's, it's like a bad idea. And so this is all happening. Um, in Goliath, we get to see Goliath's view uh, of, um, of David. And so verses 42 and 44 show, um, show us. So after 40 days of debating, remember, Goliath is keep, keep coming. And so Israel's got to be debating, thinking, who are we going to send? After 40 days of potential training, the person that would go and fight Goliath, a young shepherd boy walks out. No armor, no sword, no uh, shield, just a slingshot and a couple rocks. I mean, again, this sounds like a joke that's going to end badly. And it says that Goliath disdained David. And then he says, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Okay, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Really, this is what you want. This is what you're signing. Know that I'm going to do that to you. Goliath identifies David as an unprepared, unarmed, an outmatched opponent that will lose. That's how he's defined David. So Eliab saw a shepherd. King Saul saw a young boy. Goliath saw an outmatched opponent. And David saw a representative for God's glory. That's the different perspectives and views. And so the question we have to ask is, why, why did David want to beat Goliath? Right? Like, why did he want to fight? Was it for the story? Was it for the praise? Was it the honor, the admiration? Like, why did he want to fight him? And, and earlier, King Saul offered his daughter in marriage, um, which he's like, let me see her first. You know, I'm not saying. And then the second thing is, uh, um, the second thing is that you'll have riches. And the third thing is um, he'll pay off your father's mortgage. So they're like, man, that sounds pretty good. So the question is, is that why David's doing it? Was he doing that so that um, he would get that stuff? No. Look at the end of verses uh, 46 and into 47. This is his purpose. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all the assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword or spear. So why did David fight? Why did he match Goliath? To show the world that the God of Israel is the one true almighty God. See, David wasn't fighting for himself or earthly gain. He was fighting to show, display the glory of God. And here in this story is, why, is where we see why God calls him a man after his own heart. See, David, um, David isn't about his own glory, about his own recognition, about his own fame, but God's, right? Now, King Saul's fighting these battles, and he's hoping for, for admiration and for recognition, and yet David is so different than him. David is solely concerned with the recognition of God. Isn't that awesome? To see that's really what would mark a man after God's own heart. You're not worried about your glory, your fame, your recognition, but solely God's. And so we know his purpose. What was his power? Did he have any power? Well, look at verse 45. It says, you come to me, this is David speaking, with sword and with spear and with javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. Did you catch that? David's power was in the name of the Lord, not his skills, not his weapons, not his experience, but the name of his powerful God. Listen, church, we have to be extremely clear about this. The Bible is not filled with God using extraordinary people. It's not. 
Like, like Moses stuttered. David was too young. Uh, Jeremiah wasn't confident. Gideon was hiding out. Peter was just a stubborn fisherman. Zacchaeus was a notorious sinner. Paul was a, was a persecutor of Christians. We have to be so clear that God uses the ordinary, the unlikely, the unimpressive to display his glory in amazing ways. Amen. That's good news for people like you and I, right? To say, man, you can use the unequipped, the, the, the unimpressive for your gospel. Absolutely, that's good news. So at the end of this battle, we don't look around and say, wow, man, what a great man. We look up and say, wow, what a great God. That's why he would work that way and, and, and walk that way so that he gets the glory. And then the battle begins, but it's short, right? It's like this, you know, if you've ever watched those like UFC fights or, or boxing fights, you're like, yeah, like you're going through all of these battles for the final fight and all these commercials and finally they go and you think, oh, it's going to go 11 rounds, split decision, we'll see what happens. And it's like five seconds done. You're like, oh, dang, okay, that was a little different. And it's different that you thought it was going to be five seconds in Goliath's favor, but David wins, Right? Just quick, and so David lands a headshot on Goliath on the first stone he throws. And by the way, this isn't like you, you know, by the lake or in your backyard kind of chucking rocks at your friends. Like, it says the thing sunk into his head, okay? Like, that had some miles per hour behind it and some velocity or whatever. And so the champion is defeated by the young shepherd. That's the climax. It just shows this crazy defeat. And David didn't have a sword, right? But but because he didn't need one. Like, he comes afterwards, he grabs Goliath's sword. Goliath's on there, he grabs his sword, and he cuts Goliath's head off. The girls are like, I don't really like that part. The guys are like, yeah, 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 you know, like, uh, um, but this is, this is what's happening. This is in the Bible. Like, dude cuts his head off, you know, with his own sword. Um, but listen, this is crazy. Catch this. The sword that Goliath trusted to defy God has now been used to end his defiance. Is that crazy? right? Like he, he trusts in that. And so Romans eight thirty seven says that we, the people that have trusted in Jesus, are more than conquerors through Jesus, right? We're more than conquerors. So what does that mean? Like, isn't being a conqueror enough? What does it mean to be more than a conqueror? Well, commentator's best shot at giving an analogy to what this means is when the weapon intended for your destruction is used to defeat your enemy. Someone comes to you with a knife or with a weapon, and you grab it and turn it on them. That's, that's the imagery, and that's what's happening with David, right? Like, he takes the sword that Goliath intended to kill him with, and he uses it to cut off his head. Let me ask you this. Can you think of a time in the Bible, another place, where the weapon intended for destruction is used for ultimate victory? Some of you guys have one around your neck. It's the cross, not beautiful? The thing of, man, like, like intended for the, the defeat of Jesus, it's now our victory sign. The thing we point to, the thing we celebrate, the very thing God used to eternally defeat the grip of sin, death, and Satan. We are more than conquerors through Jesus, through his victory. So we, we, we've been able to identify through the story who Goliath truly is. He's just a sinful man rebelling against the living God. And we've got to define who David really is. He's a humble, unimpressive servant, uh, trusting in the, the living God, the power of the living God. But who, who are you in this story? Who, 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 who do you relate to most in this story? Who, who do you think you are? Now, most people think this story is about you defeating your giants. Most people think this story is really about you being David with enough courage and enough grit then you can beat your giants. That's what they think it's about. But friends, that's not what it's about at all. 
This is about your inability to fight, let alone win, and someone doing it for you. Okay, so hear me when I say this, City Light. You're not David. You're not David. And here's what we like to do with the Bible. We like to hear these stories and read these stories and inject ourselves as the hero of it. And what happens is that you, you lessen these stories and the beauty of this book to make it a self-help book about your comfort, your glory, and your fame. You're not David. Like, like I, I mean, and listen, it sounds really, really good to preach. Hey, hey just so you guys know, let me, let, me, let me tell you this. You're going to have an Eliab in your life, someone that's going to doubt you. And, and just so you know, you're going to have a Saul in your life that's going to point out your weaknesses, and you're going to have a Goliath that's standing you in the face and that's towering over you and totally intimidating. You know what you need to do is you need to be David. You need to have enough courage and grit and belief in God that you can defeat your giant. I mean, that, 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 people love that. I mean, that preaches, and people love that part of the story, but that's, that's totally missing the point. That's not what this story's about. If you and I are David, you become the hero of the story, and you get the glory. If you're David, you don't need someone to fight your battle. You're self-sufficient and independent, congratulations. And if you're David in this story, it ends with a to-do list, not good news. If you're David, well, here's five tips to slay your uh, giants. Go out and have fun. No, it's not good news. So the question is, okay, Austin, if we're not David in this story primarily, then who are we? We're the scared Israelites hiding in the corner. That's who we are. Paralyzed by fear, unable to fight, we run and we hide. I mean, listen, you and I aren't supposed to read this and primarily identify with David. The message of 1 Samuel 17 is not that we're called to be like David. It's the, it's the celebration that we have a David. Amen? And that different to say, man, and so let me, let me say this. The pressure is off. You no longer need to be your savior because you have one. You don't need to fight your way into victory. Victory has already been won for you. Jesus Christ is our better David that eternally defeated sin, death, and Satan forevermore. We win a battle that we didn't fight. That's the story of Christianity. Not fight hard, trudge your way forward, and maybe you'll win, but no, you trust in Jesus' victory, and you're victorious through him. Now, I, now, I don't know what your giants look like today, but I know, I know there are giants in this room. I know that there are fears that we have, and so, man, work may be stressful, or, or you might be fired, or you didn't get the raise that you thought you deserved, or maybe your sin has brought you to a place you never thought you would go. Maybe, uh, maybe your kids have abandoned their faith and, and not walked with Jesus and are struggling to believe. Maybe all of your friends have left and gone to different places and you're wondering, am I alone? Does anyone love me? Is anyone here for me? Maybe divorce seems like an honest option in your life right now. Maybe there are more bills to be paid than money to pay them. I, I don't know what it is, but when giants like that are staring us in the face, our temptation is to read this story and say, I want to be David, right? We, we, we read this thing, I need to find the stone that I can throw to defeat my giant. So we white knuckle it and, and, and we work harder and we try better. But listen, those giants are real and we should definitely be ready for battle and we should fight them. But you need to know that the ultimate victory is not dependent on you. 
The giant that really matters, the giant of eternal separation from God because of our sin has been defeated through Jesus and we get to celebrate that. Jesus won the battle so you don't have to. And so when temptation and sin overwhelm you like giants, don't reach down for your sling and stone. Celebrate that it's finished. It's done. Jesus has won it for you. He's already fought the battle for you. Isn't that a much better news and understanding than go fight your giants? By the way, I mean, just to say, I'm going to walk away from this. Two things, battle your giants or the giant was killed for me already. Like there's, you can take the message in either way, and this is definitely the way that I think God would intend it for our church and for our understanding. But I, I want you to see how, um, how Israel responds to David's victory, okay? Uh, verse 52, verse 52. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines. So they knew who they were, and they knew who their hero was. I mean, these once afraid, timid, hiding men rise with confidence and face all those smaller giants because the biggest one has been defeated. And isn't that a helpful encouragement to us to say the ultimate giant's been defeated so then we can have confidence in pursuing and fighting our smaller giants. There's a great freedom in that to say, man, the battle's already won and we're just operating out of that reality. So let me ask you this. Let me honestly press this in and ask you it. Are you living your life trying to win the battle or are you living your life in response to the battle already being won? it will dictate the way you live your life drastically. Church, the pressure's off. Like, you can, you can breathe easy. You can sleep light. Like, Jesus is our perfect representative, and we get to partake in his victory over sin and death. The battle was hard. Listen, Jesus didn't just get to sling a stone and be done. He suffered. He bled. He spit on and mocked, and he died. But do not be mistaken. Jesus rose from the grave three days later, victorious, eternally. Our eternal king wears a crown that can never be taken away. Our eternal king sits on a throne that can never be challenged. He is our victor. And so if you're, if you're in the room, if you're in the room and you haven't trusted in his victory for you, if, if, you're, if you're trying to muster up enough strength to fight the battle on your own, the ultimate battle, the ultimate giant, if you're in the room trying to be good enough so that God might love you or prove you or let you into heaven, if you're in the room trying to be impressive enough that he notices you, stop. Stop. You, you can have all the stones you want. You can have all the armor you want, all the weapons you want, all the training you can have, and you will never win that battle. You will never win standing toe-to-toe with sin, death, and Satan. You can't, so stop. You'll lose. So I'm saying, Jesus is saying, you don't have to fight because I've already fought for you. Would you trust in what I've done for you? And so that's the invitation this morning. Would you stop fighting? Would you start, stop trudging forward and stop working and start believing that the victory's done? The victory's over. I, Jesus is saying, I've done it for you. It's finished. That's the invitation today. If, that you would place your faith in Jesus' victory. I can't do it on my own, Jesus. You've done it for me. It, that, that by faith in Jesus, we win a battle that we didn't fight. It's amazing. Be assured, church. Take heart. Take confidence. We have a better David. 
in our fear and inability to fight, our King Jesus stepped in and won the battle we couldn't win. Amen.